Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Ords, the president of Gateway Seminary, and your host for another discussion of ministry leadership issues, practical aspects of what it means to be a ministry leader in churches and ministry organizations today. Now, last week on the podcast, I started the two-part series on how to handle mistakes in leadership. The hard reality is leaders make mistakes. We make mistakes because we're flawed people. We make mistakes because we're imperfect people. We simply make mistakes because we're people. And so the mantle of leadership does not mean that we are, that we are uh, immune from the possibility of doing something that's either a bad decision or a sinful choice. And if you remember from last week, those are the two kinds of mistakes that leaders make, bad decisions and sinful choices. And then I added a third one to the mix, what I called the combo platter, meaning you combine a bad decision and a sinful choice, which only compounds the problem. Uh, Last week, I also talked about the issue of recovering from leadership mistakes. And the good news is, it is possible uh, to recover from most mistakes. Uh, Most of the time, when leaders make mistakes, they're not fatal mistakes, uh, meaning they don't disqualify you from your present ministry responsibility or disqualify you from ministry leadership. They're simply mistakes that have to be resolved. Now, as I also said last week, it is possible to make a mistake or a series of mistakes that's so egregious that it costs you the opportunity to continue in your present position, meaning you have to go to another position or even another organization to continue to lead effectively, or uh, it may cost you the privilege of Christian leadership. You may do something that's uh, so egregious that you simply can't continue in ministry leadership. And as I underscored last week, we have to make a distinction between fellowship and leadership. I believe it's possible for every person to be forgiven and restored to Christian fellowship, but that does not always equal restoration to Christian leadership. So if you didn't hear the first part of the podcast, uh, of this two-part podcast, go back and listen to that one more carefully so that you'll understand the distinction that I'm trying to make. Then uh, we moved last week into talking about how to resolve mistakes. Uh, meaning not the fatal ones, but the rest of them, the most of them that we're going to have to deal with as leaders. And we learned that the first step in resolving a mistake, whether it's a bad decision or a sinful choice or a combination of the two, the first step in resolving a mistake is to take responsibility for your actions. Take full responsibility for your actions. That means you don't uh, blame others. You don't shuffle the blame off on anyone else, and that you assume responsibility for what you do and, as a leader, for what happens on your watch. And as I explained last week, this first step is so vital. You have to get this one right, because this first step determines how your followers will respond to you and to your mistake. Last week, I gave the illustration of two people that I dealt with in a relatively short a period of time, two different situations, both involved moral failures by ministry leaders. Uh, one person made uh, a refused to accept responsibility, uh, shuffled the blame, blamed others, um, uh, and did everything possible to muddy the situation and make it more complicated in terms of resolution. Uh, the other person took full responsibility, uh, took all the blame, uh, didn't try to make anyone else uh, responsible or culpable and really took steps to say, I, take, I, I, I step away, I don't want to be restored, I, I, wanna, I, just, I just want the full consequences, and I understand those are going to be ser- serious. 
And the way that these two people brought, uh, owned up to their mistake or failed to own up to it, uh, the way these two people handled this first step of taking responsibility really determined how their followers responded to them and ultimately was the key to uh, an effective resolution for one and, uh, and unfortunately an unhealthy resolution for the other one. So resolving our mistakes. Step one is to take responsibility for your actions. Now, the second step is to distinguish between a bad decision and a sinful choice because you respond to these differently. So how do you respond when you've made a bad decision? Well, admit you were wrong and apologize. For a bad decision, admit you were wrong and apologize. Now remember, bad decisions don't have sinful overtones. They weren't driven by your ego. They didn't involve any manipulation. There was no secrecy or deceit. You just made a bad decision. You hired the wrong person. You spent some money on a, on a <clears throat> that you shouldn't have uh, on a project that didn't work out. You, you picked a strategy that was ineffective. You made a well-intended, uh, honest mistake in the process of your ministry leadership responsibilities. So admit you were wrong and apologize. It's hard to admit that we're wrong. A number of years ago, there was a situation comedy on television called Happy Days. And in that, uh, in that show, there was an iconic American character called Fonzie. I say iconic because the leather jacket he wore in that sitcom is actually on display at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. So Fonzie was the cool guy. Uh, he, he had the leather jacket, the slick back hair. The girls loved him. He had the nicest uh, uh, you know, cars and motorcycles. He, he had everything. And because of the aura that surrounded him, it was incredibly difficult for him to admit that he ever made a mistake. And one episode uh, built around that premise shows him trying to say this phrase, I was wrong. And it kept coming out like this. I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> and he just couldn't say the word wrong. This is a really difficult word for leaders to speak. I was wrong. Admit, admitting you were wrong is an important step in resolving a bad decision. You take full responsibility, and then you say, I was wrong. I, I was wrong to spend that money. I was wrong to hire this person. Uh, I, I was wrong to choose that camp. Uh, I, I was wrong to advocate this uh, strategy. Uh, I made a mistake. Uh, I, I was wrong. And then the next step is to apologize for your actions or to apologize for the mistake you've made. Now, there's a key word that determines whether something is a legitimate apology or not. It's a preposition. It's the simple little word F-O-R. And that word for stands in contrast to another preposition, the word if, I-if. Here's what it sounds like. A false apology or a fake apology sounds like this. I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry if something that I did uh, didn't work out like we hoped. I'm sorry if the decision I made proved to not be effective. I'm sorry if. That's not a true apology. That's a subtle way of shifting blame, saying if you're so dumb that you can't see this or if you 
are so misguided that you can't understand it, or uh, if you're so uh, insecure or weak that you'd be upset by something I did, if is a word that masks the real that masks uh, 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 and labels a false apology. So, what's a true apology sound like? It uses the word for. You say, "I'm sorry for what I did." I'm sorry for being angry and expressing that inappropriately. I'm sorry for, um, wait a second, let's back up on that one. That might be a sinful choice if it involved anger. (laughs) We'll get to that one in a minute. Uh, I'm sorry for spending that money. I'm sorry for the decision I made to choose this strategy. I'm sorry for the mistake that I made. So what is step one? Take full responsibility. That's for both, bad decisions and sinful choices. But then the second step for a bad decision, admit you were wrong. And then the next step, apologize for your actions. And make it a true apology by using the word for. I'm sorry for what I've done. Not I'm sorry if you were offended by what I've done or if you don't understand what I did or if somehow it bothers you that what I did uh, wasn't appropriate. I'm sorry only for what I've done. And then the last step, accept your consequences. Now, you might think, well, why do there have to be consequences? Well, because mistakes have consequences. If you're a parent, uh, when one of your children makes a mistake, uh, you correct them, uh, you advise them about how to go forward, and then you let them bear their consequences. It can be as simple as something as, I forgot my lunch. Well, I'm sorry. I guess you'll have to go hungry today, and then hopefully that'll remind you not to forget your lunch tomorrow. Uh, Just simple things like that of allowing the consequences to fall on someone who makes a bad decision uh, help them to learn to do better the next time. Now, what does this look like in organizational leadership? Well, for example, let's say that you're a pastor and your church grows to the point that you're able to hire a a part-time assistant. Someone to work in the office, answer the phone, help you with your calendar, process some of your materials, those kinds of things. And so you hire someone, and uh, they only last a couple of months, and, and they decide to resign. And so you, you're, you're sad by that, but you realize that happens. And so you hire another person, and, and they stay for two or three months, but then uh, they don't work out either, and, and, and they decide to leave. And, and the second one of these persons was a church member, and so that created a little ruffle in the church as a church member didn't like working with you and didn't like the position or didn't like some of the circumstances and decided to resign. And so uh, you decide, well, that didn't work out. I guess I'll hire a third one. But before you do, uh, your elders or your personnel team or your deacons, whoever uh, is responsible for these decisions with you, says, uh, let, let's talk about this. And they meet with you and say, you know, uh, you've, you've made two hires and neither one of them have worked out. And so uh, you, you, you have some need, we think, to learn how to handle interviewing and hiring more effectively. And so we want you to read this book about it, or we want you to go to this seminar about it, or we want you to talk to this HR person that is a member of our church about hiring, about interviewing and hiring practices. In other words, before we go forward and support you making another decision about hiring someone when you've made two bad decisions in a row, we want you to get some training that will help you to do a better job in the future. That's what I mean by accept your consequences. When that is offered to you, you don't say, well, I can't believe you're making me do this, or I don't think it was all my fault, or these people just didn't work out. No, you say, I understand. I've made two hiring decisions. Uh, They've both not been good decisions. Um, I fully understand those have been my responsibility, and I think there are consequences when we keep having this kind of turnover and the reputation that that brings to those of, to me as a, as a leader. And so I accept the consequence of needing to get some training in this area before I hire another person. 
That's what I mean. That's what consequences look like when you make a bad decision and you own up to it and you apologize for it. Don't be surprised at the people that uh, supervise you say, now you need to do things differently. You need some training. You need some guidance. You need some coaching before you go forward in this area. Another example, let's suppose you manage a, 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 a budget or a portion of a budget. Let's say your budget in your area is $10,000, and uh, you spend over that, and let's say you spend $11,000, and the person who's responsible for the overall budget calls you in and says, um, you had a $10,000 budget, you spent $11,000. What, what, what's your story, or what do you have to say about that? And you say, you know, I made a mistake. Uh, I was wrong to do that. Um, I made a bad decision about this issue and an overspend in this area, and I approved something in this, in this, in this item, on this item, and it all totaled up to more than I was allotted, and I, I, I admit that, I apologize for it, and I, um, and I uh, take the consequences, whatever those may be. And the person says, well, here's your consequence. Uh, this year, you still get to manage $10,000, but any expenditure in your budget that's over $500, you need to get my signature on. Um, so that I can help you to learn how to think through how these things are going to go over the year. Now, if you're, the, if you're that person, what do you say? Well, I'm the leader of this area. This is my budget. You can't tell me how to spend it. I resent having to come in here and get your approval. Well, that's not accepting your consequences. Accepting consequences says, I understand that. I've made bad decisions with money in the past. You're still trusting me to keep managing money, but you've given me some consequences of some limitations and restrictions of some coaching I need about how to do this better, and so I accept that. When you make a bad decision, take full responsibility, admit you were wrong, apologize for what you've done, and accept your consequences. And when you do that, you'll find two things will happen. Your followers will respect you. They know you're not perfect. In fact, they've known that a lot longer than you have. Your followers know you're not perfect. But when you model for them how to handle a mistake, and then you accept your consequences, and by that means you grow so that you don't make the same mistake over and over again, they will respect you more. And what will happen, in fact, is your leadership stature will increase, not decrease, because of the mistakes you've made. Now, I know this is counterintuitive. Our culture says, uh, don't make mistakes, don't own up to your mistakes, blame somebody else, because if you do this, it'll diminish you in the eyes of your followers. But that is exactly backwards. The best leaders take responsibility for their mistakes, apologize for their actions, admit they were wrong, apologize for their actions, and then accept their consequences, and by those consequences, grow, improve, and change so that they do better as they move forward. So that's how you respond to a bad decision. Now, How do you respond to a sinful choice? It's a different process. First, same first step. Take full responsibility for your actions. We've already covered that, but we have to underscore that's also a part of dealing with a sinful choice. Second step, very similar to the first, to the the other process, and that is admit you were wrong. Fully own up to it and say, I was wrong. But then third, and this is where it's different. Third, you have to confess your sin. Now, let's talk about how to do that. As a leader, how do you confess a sin as a part of a bad decision? In other words, uh, going back to the first week's podcast, remember that story I told you about my manipulative, underhanded way of, of uh, firing a church custodian? Well, that was not just a bad decision. That was a sinful choice. And so I had to, in that context, not just admit 
that I had done something wrong and apologize for what I had done, I had to go to the people involved and confess my sin in appropriate ways in order to make that right. So how do you confess your sin? Well, first, confess your sin without blaming other people. Now, here are some ways that leaders sometimes blame others for their sins. They say things like this. Well, I'm sorry I lost my temper in that meeting, but you know, my daddy had a temper. Or uh, everyone that's in my ethnic background, we all have tempers. Or in my family, this is just the way that we expressed ourselves. We were all loud and boisterous, and, and tempers were, uh, were, were uh, openly expressed, and, and anger was openly expressed, and that's just the way I am. Well, that's blaming others. That's blaming your heritage or your parentage or your uh, family constellation of family of origin constellation. That's blaming someone else for your anger that you keep expressing. Uh, here's another one. People say, "Well, she tempted me," or "Well, do you see how these people dress that come around me?" Or, "Well, there's just so much pornography in our culture. It's it's it just it just it's inescapable, and so it's not really my fault." This is another way that people uh, blame others by saying it's all around me, it's what others have done to me, it's something that is impossible to avoid, therefore it's not my fault. Confess your sin without blaming other people. If you express your anger inappropriately, that's your problem, not anyone else's problem. If you're involved in an immoral behavior or immoral lifestyle, that's your problem, not anyone else's problem. You have to confess your sin without blaming other people. And then second, confess your sin only in the scope in which it was committed. Now, I sometimes see Christian leaders, particularly pastors, make this mistake. Uh, They explode in anger in a meeting and then a few days later decide to confess their sin and make it right. So they stand behind the pulpit on a Sunday and they say something like this. You know, I, I know that sometimes my anger gets the best of me, and sometimes I, I say things that I regret later, and, and, uh, and I hope that if I've ever done this to you or if I've ever done this in your presence that you'll forgive me and, and just understand this is something I'm working on and, and that we can all go on together. Well, that's not a true confession. That's just outright cowardice. When you hide behind the pulpit or hide behind some other means of communication that prohibits the person you've offended from talking back to you, you are a coward. You're hiding behind something so that you don't have to face the reality of confessing your sin in the scope in which it was committed and letting people actually talk back to you about what you've done to them and how much it hurt them. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. When I fired that custodian in the first podcast, in that story in the first podcast, and I was confronted, and I knew I had to make it right. I went to their home, and I said, uh, I wonder if I could come in and talk with you. And the husband looked at me sort of glaringly and said, yes, I guess you can. So I came in, and we went downstairs to their den. Uh, his wife was sitting in the corner sewing. She wouldn't even look up at me. And I came in and sat down in a chair across from her husband, and I said, uh, well, I've come tonight to tell you that... Uh, what I did to you in causing you to leave our church was really a, an inappropriate firing, and, and I handled that in a terrible way. Um, I was manipulative. I was deceitful. Uh, I did it in an underhanded fashion, and I've come today to uh, admit to you that what I did was wrong and to confess this sin to you and to ask you to forgive me. 
and hopefully we can go forward together. And uh, she looked up and she said, well, it's easy to forgive, but it's not not easy to forget what you've done to me. Now, those were hard words for me to hear because I realized that what I had done to her had embarrassed her publicly, had hurt her deeply, had damaged her spiritually because she had pulled away from our church for the three weeks since the incident had happened. And I saw in that moment the, the, the real pain I had caused. When you confess your sin in the scope at which, in which it was committed, it's hard because you see the results of what you've done and you have to own up to them to the person you're talking with. Well, another time that I had to do this, it was while I was at the seminary. It was in my, my first year or two. I was uh, in a particularly stressful time, and I went to a meeting in which um, some things were said that really offended me and really frustrated me. And I uh, exploded in anger. I told a particular person who was chairing the meeting uh, in very sharp terms what I thought of his leadership and what I thought of what was happening in the meeting. And, um, and I, really, I really expressed myself with a great deal of anger. So I got up and left the meeting, actually. Went to my office, closed the door, sat down, and I thought, well, that was not good. <laughs> and I have to make it right. And I knew that I had uh, made a mistake and that my mistake was a sinful choice. And so I thought through what, what I have to do. And I knew I had to take responsibility and admit that I was wrong. And I had to confess my sin in the scope at which it was committed. So that meant the next day um, I had to go to six people individually and sit down with them and say, listen, I behaved inappropriately yesterday. I lost my temper in the meeting. Uh, I've come to confess that to you and to ask you for, to forgive me and to apologize for the damage I did in that, in, that, uh, in that meeting. That was not a pleasant morning, talking to six individual people, but fortunately I work in an organization where most of the people act a lot more Christian than I do, and so they all forgave me and we were able to move on. But the point of the matter is, when you confess your sin, you do it in the scope at which it was committed. You don't hide behind a pulpit or hide behind a blog or hide behind a podcast. You have to go to the person, or to the people in this case, and say, what I did to you was wrong, and I apologize, and I'm asking you to forgive me. So confess your sin without blaming other people, and confess your sin in the scope at which it was committed, and then third, confess your sin as personally as possible. This means that you go to people uh, in person. I know that media and social media are pervasive in our culture, but I think that it's still best to confess sin and to resolve sinful choices that have been leadership mistakes uh, in person. You confess that you go in person, but if that's not possible, then do it over the phone so the person can hear your voice. And I would say almost never by text or email. Now, that's simply not enough. Now, I realize that texting and email are uh, pervasive in our culture, and I, and I get that, and I use them both regularly. But when you're trying to make a wrong right and when you're trying to admit a sinful behavior needs to be confessed and forgiveness needs to be granted, that communication is so sensitive. It needs to be in person at, at, mo at, at most of the time and occasionally uh, by phone. You know, about 90 plus percent of all interpersonal communication is nonverbal. And that means people can see in your facial expression, they can see, they can hear in your vo vocal tones. They can see it in your body language. 
And even in your eyes, they can see the genuineness of what you're saying. You know, a great example of this happened a few years ago when a, when a major league umpire made a very serious mistake. Uh, his name is Jim Joyce, and he was umpiring at first base in a game that featured a pitcher named Armando Galarraga. Now, the young pitcher was a journeyman player who had come up from the minor leagues and was in this particular major league game having a moment of glory. He was pitching a perfect game, which is the rarest of rarest achievements in baseball. Only been about 21 or 22 of these in Major League Baseball's history. They got to the last out, a perfect game, meaning no batter got on base by any means. They got to the last out, simple ground ball in the infield, thrown over to first base, and Jim Joyce inexplicably called the runners safe. Of course, the players were shocked because Jim Joyce, in a private poll among Major League umpires the year before, had been voted the number one umpire in baseball. The players were shocked. The manager of the Tigers was a man named Jim Leland, a veteran baseball guy. He came sprinting out of the dugout and said, you know, Jim, what are you doing, man? The guy was out. It's not even close. And Jim said, well, I saw him safe. And this was before replay, and that's the way it's going to have to stand. And Jim Leland said, well, when you get out uh, off the field and you actually see the video, you're going to be shocked at what you've done because you just cost this kid a perfect game. Well, when the game was over, uh, Jim Joyce went to, his, to the umpire's clubhouse and immediately they, uh, put the video on of the game. And when he saw the play, he saw that the player was out and it, it wasn't even close. He has simply blown the call. What happened next actually turned into a book that Jim Joyce and Armando Galarraga wrote together. Uh, Jim Joyce did something unprecedented. He went to the player's clubhouse and said to the security guy at the door, I need to see uh, Galarraga. So they made an arrangement for these two guys to meet. And when they met, Jim Joyce said, uh, I apologize to you for what I've done. I I've committed an egregious act. I, I call that runner safe and I cost you a perfect game. You, you could have gone down in baseball history. And it's all my fault that that, that didn't happen. And uh, Galarraga uh, forgave him, and, and they, they put that incident behind them and later actually wrote a book about it. It was so meaningful and so powerful in the world of baseball. And when the young pitcher was asked, what did you think when Mr. Joyce apologized to you? Here's what he said in response. He said, I knew he meant it because I saw it in his eyes. This is what I mean by when you confess sin to someone, when you go to someone and you really have to humble yourself and say that you blew something and that you made a serious mistake and that you want to make it right with them, when you do something like that, they, they'll see it in your eyes. And the genuineness of that exchange will go so far toward making it right. Well, accept responsibility, admit you were wrong, confess your sin without blaming others in the scope in which it was committed and only in that scope and then as personally as possible. And then finally, just as in the other uh, kind of mistake, a bad decision, accept your consequences. Now the consequences for sinful choice may be a loss of leadership stature, a loss of leadership reputation. It may be a real setback for you to have to humble yourself and admit that you've sinned against someone or that something that you've done involved a sinful component. But if you'll do that and accept those consequences, you'll find that your followers will respect you and value your leadership more as they see you growing through those consequences and then being restored fully to your leadership stature or your leadership function. 
Leaders make mistakes. No leader, no matter how experienced, how wise, or how spiritual, can avoid making mistakes. Sometimes we make bad decisions, sometimes sinful choices. And when those are conflated or compounded together, they're a combo platter, and you respond to those as you do a sinful choice. Bad decisions, sinful choices, they share the common response of taking responsibility for your actions. But then after that, admit you were wrong, apologize for your actions, accept the consequences. That'll solve a bad decision. But for a sinful choice, admit you were wrong, confess your sin, and accept the consequences. When you do these things, you will find that most of the time, the leadership mistakes you make are recoverable. You can bounce back. In those rare occasions where you've made a fatal mistake, you'll have to bear even more serious consequences and perhaps even a lifetime of results. But for the most part, most leaders avoid those mistakes. We make the other kind, though, all too often. So when you make a mistake, handle it appropriately. And if you do, you'll still have the privilege to lead on.